Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. But I have to be obedient to the Lord to speak on an issue that God awoken me to uh, just at, it was midnight, or, or just after midnight, I think it was on Wednesday evening. And I got up, and uh, I had a dream, first of all, and, and then I got up, and I could not get the impressions or the, the thoughts of the Lord from out of my mind, okay? And so, but it relates to financial giving. It relates to finance, uh, kingdom economics, but as you would have noticed up to now, our treatment of kingdom economics is not the traditional styled treatment of it. It's, it's very different. And God is using the theme to bring correction to other dispositions within our hearts. Yeah, Other dispositions within our hearts. I always say don't get caught up with the topic of whatever we deal with when we teach a series and be locked into the confines of the topic only. The topic is simply a, an opportunity for God to speak variously on different themes as He talks to us. Now, what I want to speak on, I've spoken to you about giving gracefully, right? Uh, I've spoken to you in recent times about giving truthfully, giving without hypocrisy. And then, um, most recently, in, in reference to giving as a lad in the Spirit. A lad, the, the, for those of you that haven't been with us for the past few weeks, the lad principle is, it was depictive of a Jewish boy that came to 13 years old where his family would celebrate a bar mitzvah, which means son of the commandment. So the lad principle is, depictive of any human being who has decided I'm going to obey the commandments even to my peril. I will obey God's word come hell or high water. I will not bend or veer away from the principle. If the principle is true, I submit myself to it even to my own hurt. I'm a son of the commandments. Many people are sons to spiritual fathers but not sons to the commandment. You need to be a son and a slave to the commandment of the Lord. Spiritual fathers only reinforce what the scriptures teach. But your greatest loyalty and sense of allegiance must be to the word of God. If the word says it, I must obey it. I want to now start a, a next phase of specific dispositions that should accompany financial giving, but have got to do with relationships. Okay? So we must give. Being relationally accurate. And you will see as we go through the next few weeks how that people give seed in terms of finance and do not reap the associated harvest or the expected harvest based upon their sowing simply because when they have sown, 
in one or more of their, of their key relationships, things were not done according to biblical principle. Or the relationship was compromised because standards or principles governing those relationships were compromised. Yet, you sow your seed and your seed has lost its potential to bring a harvest because you've sown within the context of an inaccurately aligned relationship. And those relationships, as you will see in, in the coming weeks, are, are many. It could be relationships with brothers, which I will speak about at a great, in, in great detail. Okay, make sure your relationships with brothers are correct. The scripture says, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember your brother has an offense against you, leave the giving. Stop the giving. The giving has got no uh, power, no, no validation from heaven. It says, leave the gift and first go make right with your, your brother. So before you give, you must forgive. So any giving then, in terms of its expression, for it to have the commensurate associated uh, response of power, of blessing from heaven, must be done within the context of when the giver himself is accurately aligned. Now, I want to encourage you with this. Every time you give, your giving should be reflective of all you are. Right? There should be no disconnect between what you give and the person that you are. Your gifts become testament to the person that you, you are. You validate your gifts. Your gifts do not validate, do not validate you. So um, if I give finances to the Lord, tithes, first fruits, offering, or even if I administrate help to the poor, or if I'm giving to help my brother, whenever something leaves me, it must testify of me. It must, even uh, uh, the Bible says that Abraham's deeds testified of his righteousness. Okay, it bore, it gave witness a credibility to the righteousness that was internal to his nature. So tell your neighbor, your gift speaks. Your gift speaks, okay? Isaac spoke to Abraham on the mount as they journeyed up the mount. Remember? Okay? Ralph Eliah um, uh, said this to us. He was the gift to be sacrificed on the mount. So the gift has power to speak on your behalf, okay? Gifts have power to speak on behalf, but they must testify to the essential nature, the core person of everything that you, you are. One day Jesus was asked a question about whether or not the Jews should observe the taxation imposed upon them by the Roman authorities. You know that uh, Palestine or uh, Israel as we know it to be, in that day was a Roman colony. Okay, The Romans ruled and? And governed. And the Rome, Rome imposed a taxation system, obviously, in all of the economies and our colonies to keep them subservient and reliant upon Rome. All right? And uh, so Jesus said, okay, no problem. That's, that's the issue here. He asked for a coin, remember? He said, give me a coin. So they gave him a coin, and he simply asked one question Whose image is on the coin? They said, Caesar's. Then he gave the principle, well, then. If his image, everyone say image. If his image is on the coin, render to Caesar what be? What belongs to Caesar. 
Remember he instructed Peter to go catch a fish, take the coins out of its mouth, and pay the tax. Now tell your neighbor just while we're there, say pay your tax. <laughs> if you haven't forgotten to do that. <laughs> right? Tax evasion is illegal. It's a lack of integrity to evade tax. Right? Tax avoidance is legal. Okay? Those of you who are tax fundies here will know the difference. There are legitimate ways to avoid paying a certain level of tax. That's called tax avoidance. It's an economic term. But tax evasion is illegal where you deliberately try to not pay the required tax using illegal means. But Jesus wasn't into tax evasion. He said, pay the tax, right? And God will provide for you to pay your taxes. The point is, whose image is on the coin? If it's Caesar's image, then render to Caesar what is Caesar. But he also said this, and render to God what is Render to God what is God's. My point is, if Caesar's image is on the coin, whatever image the offering bears, that is the destination of the offering. If Caesar's image is on the coin. Now, I, I want to ask you this. When we give offerings, I want to challenge you with this. The Im our image should be reflected on, the, on our, our, our gifts. But our image is not unique to us. We bear the image of, of Christ. So any offering we give must speak or be representative of all that Christ is. All that Christ is. So for example, in the book of Kings, Naaman was healed of his leprosy. Who prayed for him to be healed? Elisha. Naaman then wants to give Elisha an offering. Oh, I'm so happy. You pray to, to your God. So here's an offering. And what does Elisha do? He rejects the offering. Certain offerings need to be rejected. Right? You'll be tested in these things one day. And you'll be in the worst state of your need when those kinds of offerings come. Yeah, Elisha says, I can't receive this. You know why? Because Naaman, who, who was he? What nationality? An Assyrian. He lived in Syria, not he heard that Elisha could heal him. So he came down. Okay, long story there. No, I won't go to the details. He got the healing. He offered to give an offering. The servant of the Lord said, no way I'm receiving that offering. You know why? Because he said, please pray for me that when I go back to my king in Syria, and when he leans upon me to worship his God, that God will be merciful to me. Right? The God of the Assyrians was a God called Rimon, an evil deity, which the Assyrians uh, believed controlled weather patterns, the clouds, the sky. Elisha's father, Elijah, a few years before, stopped the weather for three and a half years. Now the son, I'm thinking like Elijah would think, I'm not going to receive an offering from you, who just wants healing from my God, but you are doing using your strength, your authority to support the worship of an evil deity in your country, which my father in his time brought to his knees by controlling weather patterns. Right? So you are not sold out to worship the God of Jehovah, the God of Israel. You still want to maintain worship of an evil system and an evil de deity. How can I accept the offering 
that doesn't bear the image and the representation of my God on it. Right? So he rejects the offering. Now, tell your neighbor, your offering must bear God's image. That is why if you give hypocritically, if you give with lies, like Ananias and Sapphira, the offering is not, is not representative of all that that God is, of all that God is. Okay? Now, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, the, uh, Paul said that there was grace on the churches at Macedonia. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, from verse 1 to 3, Paul says, I want to make known to you the grace of God upon the churches at Macedonia. How that in great ordeal or trial, their, their joy welled up, and from deep poverty they gave liberally. And it's, he says this, for they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us. So what was the order of the Macedonians giving? Number one, they gave themselves to the Lord. Number two, they gave themselves to the Servants of the Lord, Paul said, to the Lord and to us, gave themselves to the Lord and to the servants of the Lord, and then they gave financial gifts to Paul, right? So the giving financially was third in a process. So the giving testified to something. The giving spoke of how given they were in their hearts already to the Lord and to the servants of the Lord. And I said to you in the past, eh, previously in the church, in church history, we've tried to motivate people to give financially, which were in the first place not given in their hearts to the Lord. You can never give finances if in your heart you're not given to the Lord. So your giving, the point I'm trying to make is, your giving is always reflective of a greater reality than the actual gift. The act of giving speaks loudly to where you are and what you are in terms of your relationship with the Lord in the, in the Spirit. Testifies to a greater reality. So giving is not innocent. Giving is not innocuous. Giving is not cold, clinical, simple engagement of giving finances to God. It speaks. Tell someone, giving speaks. And if publicly every time I give, God, according to the word of the Lord, will bless me. There will be a process by which I will come into blessing. If every time I give and that giving is not reflective of the image of God, I have compromised the result of blessing. I have thwarted, I have cut off the commensurate, expected response. You think if I sow, I will, I will reap. So Cain kills Abel and then he tries to sow seed. But God said, no, 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 no. Your sowing now has lost representation because you killed a brother. Your giving is never isolated from accurate relationships. Make sure your relationships are, are good or accurate. Then when you apply the principle of giving, all heaven is, is beckoned, is, is open to respond to your gift. Your offering must be powerfully representative of everything that God is. And God stands for. Now, there was an introduction. Okay, I'm trying to get to the message. But I need to, to, to explain these things because you want to understand this in its fullest. So do we all understand now, for the next few weeks, and as the Lord would lead us, I want us to understand every time I give, I must make sure that my key relationships are all right. 
my relationship with my spiritual father, but with God first, yeah. But I'm, I'm talking now relationships with people. My relationship with my spiritual father, my relationship with my, 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 my brothers and sisters in the house of God, my, my approach to my boss at work. I'll show you when I get there how this will seriously impact your giving, right? If you are a boss, your relationship with your subordinates, people working under you, right? Your relationship with your spouse, which I'll talk about now, right? Um, in a moment, is very important. All relationships must be right. Some people have been wondering, why have I been so faithful in giving and I haven't seen the reward? I'm going to suggest to you, this is one significant possible hindrance. One significant uh, possible hindrance. Now, I want to quickly go through this because of time. I hope we'll finish today. Okay, we've got 40 minutes. Hallelujah, God is on my side today. (laughs) God is extending the time. Okay, now, I woke up on, on Wednesday and I heard the Lord say, Thou shalt not commit adultery. If ever I heard God speak, it was clear as day. I tried to fob it off my mind from Wednesday to now. I tried to effect it out of my thinking. I said, God, what are you saying? Am I committing adultery? I said, oh, no, no. Is this for the house? And I said, yes. The Lord said, yes, it's for the house. And the Lord said, there's adultery in the house. And the Lord said to me very clearly, I read the text in Exodus, thou shalt not commit adultery. And I want, I want to couple this with fornication. Adultery is sexual relationships with any person other than your spouse. Fornication is sexual relationships with anybody before marriage. Both will severely impact your prosperity going forth. Now quickly, now tell your neighbor, this is going to be good. Now listen carefully. This is for your empowerment. This is not condemnation. If you listen carefully, this is not to condemn anybody. This is for setting a thing right so that for the next 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to experience unprecedented blessing of the Lord upon our home, our marriage, and our personal lives. This word applies to the married and to the, and to the unmarried. Okay? But if ever I've heard, and you know me, I'm a stickler for routine, I'm a stickler for series, I'm a stickler for line upon line. So for me to sacrifice a message is big. For me not to go on with this lad, which I really want to do, but the Lord said, God, and I brought two sets of notes, lad principle and the other. Right now, as I said, Lord, I'm willing to go for the lad. The Lord said, you do what I tell you to do. Right? And the Lord said, no, no, no. This is going to set my people free. So this is not a condemning word. Come on, tell someone it's not condemnation. It's empowerment. And I wish, I wish people, uh, I wish I was taught these things as a young person, even as a young married person growing up in, in the Lord. Okay? I wish I was taught these things. Listen carefully. I'm going to rush through the scriptures, and then um, I'm going to show you how this works. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 9 to verse 20. Now you're going to have to refer to your Bibles because the screen is not working. For those of you that um, have brought your, your Bibles or devices to church. Okay. Now please listen carefully. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Everyone say inherit. The issue here is about inheriting something. Coming into the kingdom. You're in the kingdom, but you might not inherit it. There's three levels of kingdom appropriation. 
It's seeing, entering, and inheriting the kingdom. We're talking about coming into the fullness of inheriting the kingdom. Do not be deceived. Need, watch, neither fornicators. No fornicators are going to inherit anything in the kingdom. No idolaters, no adulterers, no effeminate, no homosexuals, no thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkard, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of, of God. And he says in verse 11, some of you, such were some of you, but you were washed. In other words, you lived this life before, but now you are washed. And now you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Then he says in verse 12, before I go on, let me just say something. Some of you are thinking, but I'm not guilty of this. Why on earth am I here? This is empowerment for you. You don't fall prey to these things. This is going to help you in your journey going, going forward. And might I add here that you might not be guilty of physical adultery, but adultery can be emotional. It can be mental. You, you, can, be, you can be brought captive in the, the fantasy of your mind to adultery or fornication. Sexual fantasy in young people, they need to be empowered how to deal with this because it can destroy the soul if it's not hit head on. Okay, So this is empowerment for everyone. Remind your neighbor again, you are being empowered this morning. Right? And I'll show you the text in a moment. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 12 says, watch, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, what he's saying is, sometimes there's no law, specific scripture, forbidding specific behavior relative to your engagement with members of the opposite sex. Right? And you might think something is innocent. I'm not there yet. I'm just near the line. I haven't crossed the border yet. You, it might be lawful, but it's never profitable. Not because it's right, must it be right for you. Not just because it's legit and it's okay, must it be okay for you. There are different standards. You could insist upon your right and be very wrong at the end of the process because you've gone too far. And this is a warning to the house not to go too far. God wants to rescue you before things get out of hand. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is, is not for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Uh, repeat after me. My body is for the Lord. Right? This body is for the... For, this is what the Bible says. This body is for the Lord and the Lord for the, for the body. Verse 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise up, us up through His power. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute, that is one who sells sex for money, right? Um, the one who joins, where are we? I lost my place. Verse 16. Do you not know the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? Therefore he says, the two shall become one, one flesh, right? So the, the, 
just listen to me very carefully. I'm going to quickly rush through this. The sexual act is not innocent. Because according to this text, it has the power to bind two people together. Lock people in, in the realm of the soul. Traditionally, in some studies, they refer to this as soul ties. That's why in a moment we're going to pray that if you are guilty or, or a fallen prey to some of these things in any respect, the Lord says to you today that He wants to set you free completely. We're going to make a show of anybody. This is between you and the Lord internally within your, within your heart. Right? Whether you fall into the prey to, to adultery or fornication, the Lord says, According to this verse, he who lies with the prostitute has become one flesh with, with her. That's why sex is only permissible in marriage. Sexual intercourse is only permissible in marriage between, and I need to define marriage because today there's all views on marriage, marriage between one male and one female. Yeah, That's the legitimate blessing of the Lord upon it. But if people fail, I want to encourage you, the grace and the mercy of God is abundance. And but, uh, you see, because when you're married to your spouse, you become one flesh. Now when you give tithes, first fruits, and offerings, your image as one must be reflected on everything you do, you do in terms of the giving of your, your offerings. But if you're mixed, if you're diluted in terms of having compromised oneness, having slept with somebody else, that image of God is not born on your offering every time you administrate it. And hence you're wondering, but why aren't we seeing the commensurate blessing? Yeah, can you understand? Right? Why aren't we seeing the commensurate blessing? God wants power. Say power. God wants power to the financial giving in this house. And the Lord said to me, part of your uh, 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 Randolph as a leader, part of your role now is I'm, I'm wanting to bring back the power to your giving Every time you do give, but it starts with the couple. It starts with the quality of the relationship between you and your, and your spouse. And if, they, if you fall and pray to, to this, uh, if you failed, I'm telling you there's grace and mercy. Never again, I, I make a bold statement here. Because of the apostolic authority by which I address this now in the spirit, I declare to you, none of you will fall prey to that again. By the power of the Lord. And if you fall and pray, I'm here to say to you, do not live in the aftermath of the repercussions of your failure as a guilt-ridden mind forever on your life going forward. What God forgives is forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin from you. And the Bible says he will not remember it anymore. Even when we fail in these things, and we come to God and say, yes, God, but remember, he says, what are you talking about? I have literally forgotten, right? And the Bible says, I will remember it no more. I will remember it no more is more powerful than saying, I will forget. Think of the wording. Which is more powerful? I will forget or I will remember it no more. God is saying, is God powerful? Come on. Is nothing possible with God? Can God do anything? Yeah, So if he said, I will remember it, he's bound to his word, he's, he's, listen to me, his power is vested in what he says. So if he says, I will remember it no more, as powerful as he is, even though God he is, he is incapable of calling it up again. When he looks at you, 
your slate is clean. It doesn't bear reference in his mind anymore because him being God, as powerful as he is, will never contradict what he said. And if he said, I will, I will forgive it and remember it no more, he will do that. Amen? What I'm going to get to in a moment are subtleties in reference to this relationship that compromise the intended gift. Amen. Verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality and every other sin that man commits is outside his body. But the immoral, but the immoral man sins against his own body. You know why sexual sin is different from every other sin? Because this scripture says every other sin is committed outside of your body. But this sin involves your body. It involves the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. And seemingly, I want to have time to prosecute sexual sins thoroughly here, but God, God gives it graver weight. Right? It's, there's a gravity associated uh, with it. Verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Verse, Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. I need to just lay these scriptures for the record, because not only you are listening, but we have a global audience listening to these messages. Everyone say marriage is honorable. Marriage is honorable. And it, the sanctity of the bed must be preserved. Like I said, if there's been any form of defilement, God is faithful and just in His grace and in His mercy is able to forgive. Do you remember the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, I think in, in John or Mark somewhere? Right? And remember, the Pharisee mind was prepared to do what? To stone her. The Pharisaic mind is the religious mind. And apply the law. Moses said, stone her to death. And all he did, he stooped down and he wrote with his finger on the, on the ground. What he wrote, we don't know. All I know is that by the time he got up, he, remember he said to them, if any of you are without sin, let him cast the first stone. So tell your neighbor this. Don't you dare cast the first stone. Don't you dare cast the first stone. None of you. Let me just say this, and let me, can I be blunt for a change? Some of you are just glad that you were not found out. You don't dare judge another who was caught or came clean. You were just lucky God kept you and you were not found out. If I could be blunt enough, everyone has been challenged or tempted in this regard to some degree or another. Some of you are just glad you covered your tracks sufficiently enough and God's grace has been abundant and you are still together, as it were. Right? So remind someone again, don't you dare cast the first stone. Come on. So don't you dare cast the first stone. Right? I would always say to people, you don't go into judgment. Because people would judge, according to Jesus, your eligibility to judge must be your slate is as clean and flawless as compared to anybody else's. Therefore, you are eligible to judge. Was he eligible to judge? Yes, because he was the only one there without sin. But what does he do? He rises up and he says to the women, Women, where are those that? 
where are those that accuse you? Where are your accusers? And she says, there's none, Lord. And then he makes this powerful statement, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. I don't want anyone to feel condemnation. When every one of us in a few minutes' time, when we walk out these doors, you're going to be the freest person relationally. And at least in reference to your key relationships, which I think number one would be your spousal relationship. Of your young person, your courting relationship, or your intent to court. If, the, if there are young people that are not connected, <laughs> you're still free. Oh, not free means you're long term. Not that we are bound, I mean you're unattached. Single. Okay, you're unattached, you, you're single. This message is very important to you. You know why? You can master these things very early in your life. You know what you're establishing for the rest of your life? A pathway of blessing, prosperity, economic success like you can't believe. I couldn't get over when I was studying this how much emphasis God placed on it in the Bible. How much emphasis he placed on the connection between being accurately aligned relationally in reference to key relationships and the power attendant with every time we, we sow financial gifts. Because those gifts we sow are going to testify to the quality of the relationship in terms of its representation before God. Now, of all relationships, which one did God use to typify his relationship with the church? Marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Wives, up. Admit to your own husbands in the Lord. Right? So a husband's love for his wife is an education and a revelation to her of how Christ loves the church. A wife's submission to a husband is an education and a revelation to him and to everybody observing the marriage of how a wife must submit to her, a husband. So you don't just get married because you love each other. For sons of God, we enlist and agree to get married because we agree to this, that we are willing to showcase the nature of Christ and His church to everybody else that is watching us. So we, if there's violation of the principles governing this relationship, and if giving is to express image and likeness, if, image, if giving is to testify of the nature of the persons you are, if that is compromised and then you give, it dilutes the power of, of your offering. And I'll show you that in a moment. In a moment. I'm getting there. We're still warming up. <laughs> I want to get to the scripture in a moment. Proverbs 6.24 says, Proverbs 6, more than any, I think the book of Proverbs more than any, and the book in the Bible speaks about adultery very plainly. 6.24 says, this is the danger of adultery. To keep you from evil woman, from smooth tongue of the adulteress. Right? I want to encourage you, there are hunters out there. This doesn't deter them. You know this ring I have for how many years now? 20, <laughs> can I make sure? 27 years. As you can see, my finger's fat around it. I haven't taken it off in 27 years. If I can't get it off, the skin has grown around it. I have to surgically remove it now. Right? I'm bound, brethren. There's nothing. But you know, there, 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 there's, a, there's a wicked spirit out there that this is actually the attraction. Right? They don't care whether you're married or not. Okay? Uh, when we travel, we have to be so guarded. Sean will tell you. 
so careful, so guarded. That's why, as far as possible, I would always like to travel with somebody. Don't think that you are so strong, you can, I'm strong, I can wall off any temptation. Sometimes you've got to put props in place to protect yourself. Right? Do you know why David fell? Why did David fall? His wall was too low. He's on top of his ceiling. How from on top of your ceiling you have access to the bathing facility of somebody else's house? That should have, hey, uh, Dr. Segi says he should have erected his parapet wall. He should have raised the wall. Sometimes you've got to deliberately do things simply to, pro- to protect yourself. So come on, tell your neighbor, build your wall. Build your wall. The Bible says don't put yourself in a situation where you're prone to fall. Right? He who thinks he's strong must beware lest he, lest he falls. And the scripture says flee youthful lusts. Sometimes you've got to kick down, bro, balega, run from, from the context that seeks to entrap you. Yeah? That seeks to ensnare you. In other words, deal viciously and violently with it. So this, this, this is talking about the, the, the danger of the lure. And you must not be like me and sometimes be naive to it. Be aware of the snares and the entrapments of the devil. They are fast and furious out there. Verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with the eyelids. Especially the ones that they have. The extensions. Extensions on the eyelids. All you can see are these fluttering eyes. Verse 26, on account of a harlot, watch, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. She will reduce you to a loaf of bread, bro, if you're not careful. And the adulteress hunts. For precious life. You see the hunt, the, the, the seductresses, both male and female in the world, engineered by Satan. They're attacking precious people. They're not going for the, for the willy-nilly. They want the prime. They want the, the real deal. And their intent is to reduce, to defile, to discredit, to disqualify. Verse 27 says something remarkable. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burnt. Right? You play with fire, you will be burnt. And this text says it very plainly, speaking in context about adultery. It says, don't play with it. Don't flirt with it. I want to encourage you, be ruthless if you have to, in your dealing with it. Protect yourself and sometimes put measures in place where you, you even erect a wall seriously, deliberately enough Sometimes even to the offense of the other person. But you're protecting something. Right? You have more to lose if you bow to the spirit. Right? Than to gain. And I I want to encourage you, don't submit your life to one second of sensual pleasure and lose out on centuries of, of eternal blessing. You can fall to one moment and you compromise so much in the process. And this text says, don't touch the fire, you will be burned. Verse 28, can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who will go to his neighbor's wife and whoever touches her, etc. Okay? Look at Proverbs, quickly, it's a time, Proverbs 7 verse 22. I'm just jumping over a few scriptures here. Now, everyone say secrecy. Do you know what adultery and fornication rely upon? Secrecy. 
concealment. The fact that it's hidden. If, if it's exposed, you, you become exposed. And so it relies upon the hidden life. The hidden life is the secret life. It's the double life. It's a hypocritical life to which God has not called us to. You know, if ever before, like I said, God has been speaking to me very seriously. Things like personal purity and heart humility. Remember I said this to you? Everyone say personal purity and heart humility. God said to me, ran off God those two things with all of your heart. Don't compromise your purity. Don't vacate your humility. Watch those. Don't go in, don't, don't soil yourself with impure thoughts, with impure relationships. And don't leave humility and start subtly going into pride. It's all about you and your image. God says, you do those two things. Remember I told you last week, the Lord said to me, I will lift my hand off you. Because I told you. I will never forsake you. But the hand speaks of empowerment for service. Right? But, so it's, it's very, very important. Proverbs 7.22 says, Suddenly he follows her. Uh, this is the man caught by the seductress. He follows her like an ox going to the slaughter. Check how the Bible describes these terms. And I need to read this graphic pictures to you. Because next time you try to warn someone not to commit adultery or fornication, tell them, use the Bible language. You're like an ox going to the slaughter. The Bible uses graphic terms to describe the consequences of what you think to be uh, an innocuous thing. And you've got nice words to describe this. An affair. Right? It's not an affair. What did, what did Joseph call it? A wicked thing. When Potiphar's wife suggested to him, lie with me. He said, shall I do such a wicked thing? He didn't call it an affair. You know, we've got such nice terms today. Right? A spare wheel. Sheesh. An away game. Having an away game. Right? It, it makes it, it reduces the, the seriousness of the sting of the issue. It's wickedness. Joseph passed the purity test. That's why God could use him. He said, now, what you're suggesting, Mrs. Potiphar, is actually a wicked thing. And you know what, what cycle she used? She said, my master, Potiphar, has given you stewardship over all the goods in his house. Well, he has the goods. I'm part of the goods. And he said, no, 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 that, not, not that domain, everything else. Right? What does the Bible say? Thou shalt not covet another man's wife. Covet is to pursue that which is not yours. Belongs to another. Do you not covet another man's husband? Okay. Proverbs, back to Proverbs 7, 23. Until an arrow pierces through his liver and a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know it will cost him his life. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart be turned aside to a ways. Do not stray into a part. For many are her victims that have been cast down, and numerous are all those of her who have been slain. Her house is the way of hell or shoal, descending to the chambers of death. Yeah? Serious graphic imagery yeah, used to describe what some people look, uh, is it not, it's almost impossible today to look at any movie or television program where there's no fornication, there's sex between unmarried persons galore, right? or there's, there's, there's extramarital affairs within the movie. Eh? Almost impossible. 
Today it's become a source of entertainment. And a few, year, a few weeks ago I said to you, you cannot derive entertainment value from that which God abhors. If it's abhorrent to God, it cannot be entertaining to you. But you know, our minds have been so uh, 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 eroded for the acceptability of these things, we think it's fine. All right? Look at Job 24 verse 15. And then I'm going to tell you how to overcome this and then we'll, we'll close. Listen carefully. Job 24 15. The eye of the adulterer waits for what? For twilight. Right? What's twilight? Dark. The sun is setting. It's that season before, just before sunset and total blackout at midnight. It's that when things are darkening. So you wait for a reduction of light because you want to do things in, in private, okay, in, in secret. Now, it says he waits for twilight saying, no, I will see me. And he disguises his face, his true identity. Just before we go on there, there's a verse that I want you to emboss upon the fabric of your spirit. It's Proverbs 28 and verse 13. You must remember this verse. If ever you want to prosper economically and you say, God, I want success in terms of finance, not just financial success, success in its various forms. This verse is a key verse. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says the following, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. Can it be more plainer than that? Can the Bible get so frank? It says, if you're going to conceal it, you're not going to prosper. But it says, if you confess it and if you forsake it, you will find what? Compassion. Everyone say to me, confess and say forsake. There are two issues here. Some of us are very good at confession, very poor at forsaking. You come clean and then you leave. Jesus said to people, go and sin no more. You've stopped it, now maintain it. Confess it and forsake it. And it says very specifically, if you're covering up, you're covering up, you're covering up, you're a twilight person, you're doing things under the radar, thinking I can fool Randolph, I can fool the brothers, I can even fool my wife, I can, I, I'm so good at what I do. Note this, because you are here today, and if you persist in this order, I submit to you humbly that God will expose you in ways only He can. So my heart plea to you is, confess it and forsake it. Like I said, you know this word is a message of love because God loves us, yeah? You know what God's speaking like this to all of us? It's because He, he loves us. Our marriages in this house have to be the most strongest in Durban, yeah? The most tightest, the most accurate, the most strongest. You know why? We have a great amount of financial uh, resource to steward in the years ahead. I believe that with all of my heart. And God said to me, as I thought about this on Wednesday evening, He said, Randolph, there's adultery in the house. Speak to the matter. Get it right. Because it's going to compromise in terms of where you're going as a collective. And one, I don't want not one person, not one marriage, or not one relationship, if you're not married, in the house to compromise in terms of where God is taking us. Amen? When God sees our marriages, He must see image and likeness in the marriage. And every time those married persons engage the act of financial giving, it must testify, it must speak, it must bring power to the seed sown, and there will be an attendant harvest, an associated harvest 
with them. You will see it with your eyes. Repeat after me. He who conceals his transgression. Come on, say it louder. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes it, he will find compassion. May the compassion of the Lord be your portion. May the grace, the mercy, and peace of the Lord be your portion. And this doesn't only relate to adultery or fornication. It relates to any sin. If you're involved in anything that is distasteful to the Lord and it's under the radar, it's under cloak, it's, it's behind the scenes, it's in a twilight position, the Lord says, forsake that. Forsake that. Otherwise, it's going to impact the way you, you're going to handle finances going, going forward. Just for the record, Matthew 5, I need to say this quickly. Matthew 5, I haven't got to my scripture yet. Matthew 5, verse 27 says, and I'll get there in 10 minutes. Matthew 5, verse 27 says, You have heard, Jesus is talking at the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you will not commit adultery. So who is he quoting? He's quoting Moses, the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, I think. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, check what Moses said about adultery. You have heard that it was said in those days, do not commit adultery, verse 28. But I say to you, Jesus said, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you don't actually commit the act externally. If you are lustful in your heart to a member of the opposite sex, um, that's not your spouse, your husband or your wife, or if you are not married and you look upon a woman lustfully and you entertain lustful aspirations in your heart towards the, 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 the woman, or if you are female, the man, this scripture says, by implication, you are guilty of the sin of adultery and or fornication, as though someone actually did the deed. The standards of the new covenant are always higher than the old covenant. The old covenant was a legalistic law-based society. In the new covenant, we have grace. But the moral law, what law was abolished by Jesus? Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to, full, to fulfill the law. The law was fulfilled in him. But in the law, people don't distinguish between the moral law and the ceremonial or civil laws. The all the moral laws still stand. If Moses said you must not steal, in the new covenant, thieving, thieving is still not permitted. Right? But every requirement of the new covenant takes what the old covenant said and, and, and escalates it. Moses said do not steal. Paul says, let him who steals, steal no more, but as a rider, let him work with his hands. Moses never said that. Paul said that. At least Moses says, don't you steal. Paul says, okay, Moses, you say that. I say, don't steal, now go to work. Right? You can take, this is a very good study, take all the Ten Commandments. Right? The Sabbath is a bit tricky. But take all the Ten Commandments, apply the New Testament counterpart, you will see it still persists, but it's escalated. But what you could not keep in the law, in the New Covenant with an escalated requirement, you are able to do because of grace. It's not you, but the, the grace of God in you. Right? So Jesus said, okay, Moses said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, you look upon any woman lustfully in your heart, 
it's already you as guilty as the person as who has just done the deed. So now, brethren, this takes it a higher step. Not so? You don't have to be caught in the act to be guilty of this. It's a matter of your heart. And I want to challenge the brethren. Rescue your mind. Arrest your fantasy life. Stop entertaining the thought of a sexual encounter with someone that is not your spouse if you're married. Or stop entertaining the thought of a sexual encounter if you're unmarried, even if you're courting, with someone, any member of the opposite sex. Bring a rest to that disposition. You know, Job said, I forget the text, you'll find this in my series. There's a series I did some, a time ago. It's called The Spiritual Man on my website. You must, you must read and study The Spiritual Man. I spend three or four sessions, and I call it overcoming carnality. And there I list several keys by which any person, if you do these things, you'll be able to overcome carnality. Okay? The one method is by grace. Because Titus says, Titus says this, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. So grace has got an instructive dynamic to it. It teaches me to say no to ungodliness. If I say I have grace... The claim to grace must manifest itself like this. When tempted, when presented with an opp opportunity to fail God in a specific area, if I say I have grace, then that scripture says, the grace of God in me teaches me to deny ungodliness. Grace is more than unmerited favor. In that context, grace is God's ability, empowerment, or enablement. In me, it gives me the power to say no. You see, because left to your flesh, you're going to, you're going to fall, right? Don't think you are so strong, these things, you're above these things. Left to yourself, you will fall, but for the grace of God. But you're going to say, God, but your grace, your, I, my own flesh, I might fail these things, but God, I'm a person of grace, I'm a son of grace. Your grace is in me by the power of your grace. I now look at temptation in the eye and I say, no, deny ungodliness, okay? By the power of the grace of God. Uh, in that series, I, I, I shared this. I said there's a, another principle in, in, in the book of Ephesians where Paul in chapter 4 said, give no place for the devil. Remember? Topos in the Greek. It means if you're a climber, you know, like a, like a rock climber, mountain climber, to get to a higher elevation, what do they look for? Foothold. If you have a strong foothold, oh, this chair is not too strong enough. If you have a strong foothold, what you can you do? You can elevate. When Paul said, give no place to the devil, topos, he's literally in the Greek saying, give him no opportunity from which he can find leverage, from which he can pursue. In other words, another place, in other places he says, give no place to the devil, give no opportunity to the devil. And then the Bible, you see, if you want to overcome the devil, don't give him place. Don't give him opportunity. Some of us, we are sitting with satanic assault, but... You're watching all the programs. You're viewing the unsavory sites on the internet. You're creating, you're giving him so much room, so much place to maneuver, to gain ascendance in your life. You're mixing with the wrong people. You're taking, you know what thought came to me today? Stop taking advice from adulterers. God told me that specifically to say to you. The Bible says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Some of us here are being counseled by ungodly people. 
Don't tell. An adulterer is not going to tell me how to manage my life with my wife. This is a spurious source. Come on, tell someone, no ungodly counsel. Your closest friends cannot be those who make shipwreck of their own marriages. And you, that thing is feeding you with information. And then, what is that? You're giving place. Then you find this disposition so strong in you, you can't manage it. Why is the devil gained leverage? You gave him the place. You, you can't create room for the devil and then want to chase him out. You made the room. You made the opportunity. You created the context to fall. Just don't make the context to fall. Bible says we must flee youthful lusts. Okay, here's the scriptures. I'm going to cut a whole lot of things out. Okay, Matthew 5, 29. Can I take five minutes, right? Let's just finish this. Matthew 5, 29. Uh, so listen carefully. Okay, let me just read this. If your right eye makes you stumble, what must you do? Tear it out. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be burned in hell. Verse 30, if your right hand makes you stumble, what must you do? Cut it off. Throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You know, this is a very graphic thing. Don't do this physically. This is not, you mustn't take this literally. I don't want to maim people in the house now, right? I like, but the graphic way in which this is presented simply indicates to us how ruthless. You have to adopt a ruthless mindset to deal with this. You think it's innocent. No. It, it, is, it is so serious, you have to adopt a very hard stance in reference to it. You would rather lose that limb than for your whole body to be lost in hell, according to the text. You would rather be prepared to sacrifice certain things you're engaged in that might be, might be lawful but not profitable and at the end of the day come to a set of results that you regret over a period of time. Yeah? You regret over a period of time. And let me just say this. We've all fallen here. We've all failed in this respect in one level or another. If it were not for the grace and the mercy of God, we wouldn't be here today. So I don't speak like this being judgmental of anybody. That's not my heart. I speak to you as a father in the faith. I would not want anyone to walk down this road. The results are too costly. The, the stakes are too, too high. Right? Too costly. And then, so you must overcome by the word of the Lord. Let me get to the text. The text is Malachi. I promise you five minutes. Malachi 2. You might ask, okay, Randolph, I've heard you. We're going to watch ourselves. We're going to toe the line. I'm going to watch myself. My thought life, I'm going to submit to the Lord. Every time I start thinking about someone else, not my wife, I'm going to rest that thought in the name of the Lord Jesus. Bring it into subjection. I'm not going to entertain sexual fantasy. I'm going to watch what I watch on television over the net. I'm going to be ruthless. Right? Ruthless. Uh, put a, a privacy, what do they call that thing on the end? Something you can do where you, you, you bar yourself from certain sites. Right? Let somebody else hit the password. So if ever you attempt it, you never even have the opportunity to go back there again. Come on, tell someone, be ruthless. Yeah, be ruthless. Yeah. You be ruthless. You don't say, oh, I'm not going to fall there again. You are rather lose that arm and save my body. Right? Right? I'd rather lose that friend. I'd rather lose that friend. I'm saying it again. I'd rather lose that friend if at the end of the day it's brought shipwreck to my marriage or to my key relationships. 
lose the arm, lose the eye. Okay? Malachi. It wasn't intended to rhyme. Chapter 2. Okay. Malachi chapter 2. This verse you must remember. God says, this is another thing that you do. You cover the altar with your tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hands. So there's a question here. People are giving offerings at the altar, and God's saying, I reject the offerings. No more will I receive the offerings at my hand. So yeah, all the givers, right? The givers are saying, they're weeping. Oh, they're crying. Uh, why isn't God accepting our gifts? We are faithful in our context. We're giving tithes. We're giving first fruits. We're giving offerings. Why is God rejecting this? They're weeping. And what God says, verse 14, God says, yet you say, for what reason? The, the, the Lord says, because the Lord has been a witness against you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. The word treacherously in the Hebrew is bagad, and bagad means to cover, watch, to cover with a garment, to act covertly, to deal deceitfully with or faithlessly. So there's the, there's the idea of concealment or secret sin. You're dealing, not overt, it's covert operations, under the radar. You're covering with a garment and you're dealing what? You're dealing deceitfully or faithlessly. So God says, can I paraphrase? God's saying, how can I accept your offering when you are violating your covenantal relationship in marriage? And he's speaking here to the men. In context, he's saying, you men, you're doing, you, you, there's a suggestion of infidelity here, unfaithfulness. You're you, you acting clandestinely and you seem to cover it up so well. And you're acting deceitfully and you've dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth, whose wife is to you by covenant. So God is literally saying, how can I then, from that context, accept and look upon your offerings? God is saying, your offerings are meaningless because my image and likeness is not reflected in them. Because they are given off from the fact or from the context of a relationship which should have been covenantal but, but soiled. You know, uh, Rosh shared this with me. I don't know where I was a few years ago and I shared this thought. And she said, you know, Ralph, in the original Hebrew, there's the suggestion of a wife that is crying or tearing at home because of the deceit of her husband. And the husband comes to give faithful offerings. And God, to paraphrase, God is saying, you are crying over the unacceptability of your offerings, but your wife is crying at home because of your violation of the principles of covenant. And God's saying, I'm hearing the cries of your wife, not your cries. The cries of your wife are louder than your wailing over, why isn't my offering so powerful? Why, God, aren't you not responding? Why aren't you opening the heavens and blessing? The Lord says, because you've been unfaithful. With the Can you see how that the, the violation of biblical principles in key relationships can very seriously affect the acceptability and power of one's offerings? Yeah? And let me just say this. You don't have to be physically guilty. It could be mental. It could be emotional 
You should not be confiding if you are married or in courtship with a member of the opposite sex that is not your spouse or your partner. You should, there shouldn't be no intimate conversations. In fact, my cell phone hasn't got a password on at home. I'm amazed. It baffles my mind that a husband and wife can be married, have passwords over phone that the other doesn't know. That tells me you're not walking one. Husbands should have access to your wife's phone. Wives should have access to your husband's phone. Now, please don't go to town now. I say, yeah, I love that part of the sermon. What's your passcode? Bro, let me see. Don't become the detective now and say, I'm going to start spying. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I am saying sometimes we create scenarios for secrecy. We're creating room for secrecy, and then when things go out of proportion, we wonder why. Renee has 24-7 access to my phone. Okay? Complete access. I have complete access to her phone. There should be no WhatsApp or, or, or email messages or messages via Facebook Messenger with you or any member of the opposite sex that is not your spouse to the degree where it's occupying your time. And you're sharing some, some information which might be sensitive or intimate enough stuff that you should only be sharing with your partner. I'm saying it doesn't have to be overt adultery. It could be as, you might think, now this is innocent. No, it's not innocent. It's a violation of principle. Yeah? And then we wonder, Lord, why isn't the heavens opening? God says, you're dealing with, you're covering it up with the garment. You're acting covertly. Therefore, your offerings mean very little to me. Because it doesn't bear image and likeness. Do you know there's a verse in Acts that says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now he commands men everywhere to do what? To repent. You know that verse in Acts 3? So what is Peter? When Peter quoted that, what was Peter saying? In times of ignorance, when nobody knew, ignorance about a fact, what does God? God, if you wink at something, it means you overlook it. Uh, I excuse you because you were ignorant. Peter quotes the verse. He says, in times of ignorance, God winked at, but he says, but now, once revelation and knowledge has come, he commands what? Men everywhere to repent. You might ask me, but Randolph, does not the scripture say, why do the wicked prosper? Some of you are thinking that, right? How come those guys have 10,000 affairs and they're bold about it, and check the prosperity there. Hey? <laughs> huh? Have you ever wondered the scripture in Psalm 73? Behold how the, the wicked prosper. And then what did David say? Then I only, only when I went into the temple of the Lord, then I understood their end. Huh? Let me just say this to you. They are not accountable to live to God's standards. They don't know Him, neither are they loyal to Him. And neither is he their Lord and Master. But for sons of God, once you come into sonship, and you're made aware of the standard of God, the moment you become aware of the standard, the standard serves as a measure of, of judgment. Not, not punitive judgment. A standard by which you must dovetail your life with so that you can get the commensurate blessing. Yeah? The moment, there's even a principle in, uh, 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 I got this in my series on eternal judgments. When we all stand before God one day to be judged for our works, which we did for Him. This is not works done in sin, works done for Him to effect His purpose in the earth. Um, 
we'll be judged according to the measure of revelation we received. God is not unjust to judge you by standards you did not know about. So according to the measure of light or illumination, so you will be uh, dealt with. Okay? So I want to encourage you, now that light has come, tell someone light has come. I mean, isn't God good? Come on, all of you should be smiling. Isn't God good? Come on, tell someone, smile a while and give your face a rest. Come on. And when I say that, I don't want to detract from the gravity of the message. All I'm saying is, this is a good message. This is for your empowerment. This is to help every single one of you. Now, I want to walk with this girl here so powerfully, so closely. I don't want nothing to compromise every time we take out money and we give tithes, first fruits, offerings. The Lord must say, wow, this image is in the offering. Now all of heaven can open up to respond to this gift. But if I compromise here, or if I'm not married, if I'm, if I'm doing all sorts of things uh, in fornicating, then anything I give does not bear the image of God, nor is reflective of the nature of God upon it. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Come on, I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Everyone say strong marriages. Strong courtships. Come on. Those of you who are single, say strong courtships. You know, my desire is that we be a church of strong families. Lots of families, lots of married couples and or courting couples here. And I see you in the spirit. From today, you've heard this word, which I think is more empowering than negative. You have heard something. You don't focus on the negative. Right? You, you say, God, if there's power inherent. That's why 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, live with honor to your wives as a weaker vessel and show her honor. Um, and what does it say? Live with consideration with her, showing her honor. For she together with you is a partaker of the grace of life. She's a joint heir of the grace of life. There's a grace to be accessed by husband and wife. When the relationship is observed and, and practiced according to biblical principle. I mean, that anointing is on our house and we're going to pray for it. Come on, everyone lift your hands, including the single people and the young people. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your, your great love for us. God, we've heard some strong statements. And I, I want to thank you that even as we've heard, we've already repented in our hearts. Father, our greatest delight is to please you in all respects. And God, even those of us who have fallen prey, I thank you for your mercy, for your forgiveness that forgives us and makes us clean this very moment. Again, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I declare to you, church, with your eyes closed, that if you fail in any respect that I've mentioned today, I hear the Lord say, I've already seen your heart while the word was spoken. And my son my daughter, I've even forgotten, already forgotten the issue. You stand clean. You stand pure. The Lord says to you, you stand undefiled before me. My word has washed over you. Jesus said to his disciples at once, one point he said to them, now you are already clean. As you heard the word, you were being washed. You were being cleansed. God didn't even wait for you to make an intelligible response for this moment of the service. As you heard the word, I, the Lord says, my word has cleansed my church. Let the washing of the water 
by the word of God. Cleanse you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Nobody is to feel condemned. I break the power of condemnation and guilt over you in the name of the Lord Jesus. If God has forgiven you, no man, no, no, no human opinion of you will ever hold up to God's administration of forgiveness and grace upon your life. You are now clean, the Lord says. You are clean through the words that you have heard today. Now, Father, I pray from this position, every time we give offering, every time we honor you financially, every time we express obedience financially, I ask all of heaven will open to receive the representation of your image vested in and through our relationships in our offerings. We will render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we will give to you an offering reflective of your goodness, your grandeur, your grace, and your glory. I bless the church now in Jesus' name. Church, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Benjamin portion of five times more be your portion, I pray in the name of the Lord. Five changes of garments, 300 pieces of silver for your redemption. May you be blessed in all respects in the name of Jesus. Amen.